Emma, could you put the first slide up for me, please? That'd be great. Thank you. Um, just a matter of a bit of advertising. This John three sixteen badge. Um, I've got a whole lot made. The reason I did this, and I, I just felt to share this this morning because it was about two years ago. I was um, I'm involved with a, one of my hobbies. Well, the only hobby I've got at the moment is gun club. So uh, I, I go I go shooting once a week, and it's very cathartic. Trust me on that one. Very cathartic indeed. <laughs> um, but I, I purchased a gun case about two years ago and and felt the Holy Spirit say to me, really bizarre, I want you to put John 3.16 on the side of it, both sides. So I went to a, a sign maker and got two Perspex plaques made from one each side of this gun case, right? And I, I said, just see what happens. So I'm going into the, to the, to the gun room. Now, just to give you a bit of context, 30 years ago, 35 years ago when I started preaching, uh, I didn't think much of the whole John 3.16 thing because everyone was doing it and it was a rah, rah, rah thing. Don't get me wrong, it's important. <laughs> but I didn't think much of it. I thought, you know, well, this is the thing that everyone does. It's kind of common. The Lord said, no, no, just do it. See what happens. Sure enough, within the first session, six men asked me, what is that? What is that? Who's that? And I said, said they're the most famous name and three most famous numbers in all of Western history. Really? Yeah. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's from the Bible, isn't it? Some of them say, yeah. Some of them go, oh, no, no, no. Is that religious? You know, and even last week, the badge, I put the badge on this time, and the guy next to me, his name was Mick. There's a lot of uh, Mediterranean folk in gun clubs. Um, so he said to me, what's that? What's that, mate? He's about 40 years old. I shared the gospel a little bit with him. So I bought, I've got a whole bunch of these made, so if you want one later on, come and grab one. Help yourself. Two or three. It's always a bit of fun. Anyway, what I want to do before I start and open the Word of God, specifically to, to do some sort of digging, kind of a primer that I, I'll let you read that yourself, because you're all grown-ups, so you can do that. Uh, it, when we come to the Word of God, we, we just need to be... Uh, mindful of that, you know, we all have confirmation bias. <laughs> We've all got it. I've got it. Trust me on that one. So things that inform the way we tick. But some fundamentals that we need to put in place when we come to the Word of God, I think is really important. And as Ian indicated, you know, we didn't, we didn't converse beforehand, so it's, it's not staged. Manifestation and demonstration are very, very powerful things. And often we can, in particularly in closed Christian circles, we can actually develop all sorts of things and ideas and concepts and be very clever at talking about them. But living them out and seeing them manifest and demonstrated is, is our next level. And that requires that which is beyond our capacity. That which is beyond our capacity. I need the Holy Spirit to do this. In a culture that we live in, it's just so broken, so empty, so need of a, needing of a saviour, not a life coach. A saviour is what it needs. And so we, we kind of in that... That, that sort of space where we, again, we can't conjure this, but we're called, we have some clear parameters. We're called, called, sorry, called to make disciples, to make disciples. We don't wish them to be disciples. We don't pray for them to be disciples. That's part of the mix. We make them. So it's part of how we function and operate and how we live. We, we're actively involved pre and post conversion discipleship. Next slide, please. Emma, for me. Emma? Yeah, so now this is about framing. 
And again, this is where the confirmation bias comes in. There's an old anthropological principle that says where you stand determines what you look at and what you look at determines what you see. So I say, so what do you see, man? You ask one the question, what do you see? They go, I see A, B, and say, okay, well, step one, step back. What are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking at, okay, 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 so one step back. Where are you standing? Okay, okay, come this way. Come this way. Okay, now look. Now look. And all of a sudden you see something different. You know, oh, oh, I didn't see that before. And the Word of God is rich. It's just so incredibly rich and replete with so much stuff that we, we often, you know, we, we have our, our favourite renditions and whatnot. But it, it's really important. So we've got lenses. Now, a lens is very important. Don't get me wrong. And today we're going to do a bit of a lens. A lens is what we start to, to specifically focus on something. We, we look at it clearly. And when it comes to the Word of God, in, particularly in interpreting it for application, but also in understanding it from an exegetical point of view, that means the audience it was written to, the culture it was written to, the context it was written in, that's important. You just can't, you know, massage it to make it say what you want to say. That's, that's the first audience. So the lens is really important. And we, and we can lens in on a particular verse like we lensed in on, on Titus. Wonderful. It was lensing in on, on a book, and that's important. That's, that's, that's an excellent thing. But then you get pivot points. So I'm not just looking at the lens. From that point, that becomes my staple. That's my point. And I'm going to – I look, I move around with that. And that's a good thing. So I start to look around from that pivot point. Does that make sense? And that's also a good thing to do. So you develop your capacity to look, see, and understand. But then there's bookends. This is the one most people, including me for a long time, have forgotten. Bookends. The bookends. The full council. If you don't have good bookends, what happens to your bookshelf? Everything gets a little bit skewed. Everything gets a little bit skewed. And God's, God's incredibly patient. He really is and has been with me. <laughs> I'm a trophy of grace more than most people ever know. But it's really important for us to understand that we, we look and we dig and we mine in every area that we possibly can using all these factors so that we don't miss all that God has for us. I'm not saying it's a bad thing if you do miss it. We all do. So it's kind of like a framing for today, guys, if I may. Just keep that in mind as we, as we move forward. Next slide, please, Ann. Okay, so just uh, this is basically one at a time. Just to, these are, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way, guys. So what lenses do we have? What lenses are in the, in the marketplace? Uh, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, historical, Calvinist, Methodist, Pentecostal, free will theist, Puritan, Moravian, Protestant, Armenian. Look, you can go on. There are all sorts of lenses that people look at Scripture through. And again, not saying they're wrong. But they are a lens from a perspective. Now, we know truth is not relative, but perspectives are. And that's okay. Like I said, where am I standing? Well, from my perspective, I could tell you some wonderful stories about perspective historically that have changed entire nations or sent nations to war because they just didn't. If they just moved a little bit to the left and had a second look, they wouldn't have done this. It's like, dude, really? Seriously? So does that make sense, guys? So which lens will we use today? I wonder if you can pick it. So I'm going to throw in, I'm going to use a particular lens today. And hopefully, it'll take us to a place, hopefully, that God can speak to all our hearts. Thanks, Emma. Next one. Okay, today's subject is the heart of the prodigal. Now, we're going to look at a passage uh, in a moment, a couple of passages. 
which we're all very familiar with. In fact, this passage, the, the, this parable, particularly the parable of the prodigal son, is one of the most pivotal, and I use that word specifically, pivotal stories that Jesus uses between the two covenants. This is, this is quite remarkable. And this, we've all got our, we, we know this story back to front. Dude, we've got this. Do we have to hear it again? Yeah, maybe. Just maybe. There's a lot going on in this particular passage, and Jesus is doing something quite remarkable here. So, next slide, please, Emma. We're going to just pray. Ian's pray, but we're going to pray. And I'd like Helen, if you would just pray for specifically our understanding of the word to God, of word of God today, please. Yeah, well, it's all right. Thanks. receive that. Amen. Okay, let's have a go to our first scripture. We're going to come up for you. Don't I, Emma? <laughs> so, click the next slide. Emma's going to read our first scripture for us. Heaven and earth listen because the Lord is speaking. I raised my children and helped them grow up, but they have turned against me. An ox knows its master and a donkey knows where its owner feeds it. But the people of Israel do not know me. My people do not understand. How terrible. Israel is a nation of sin, a people loaded down with guilt, a group of children doing evil, a children who are full of evil. They have left the Lord. They hate God, the only one of Israel, and have turned away from him as he was a stranger. Thanks, Emma. I, I love that <laughs> Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah is a, is a mine. It's a mine, people. Get into Isaiah. It's just staggering. Uh, I love that. Emma's just read that from a... She picked that version, which is really good. These, these children are rebellious. These children, whom I've, I've adopted, are completely rebellious. They're bad, naughty children. That's what he's saying. And this is outrageous, considering what I've done. So just keep that in mind as we read... John is going to read his Luke. You can come up here if you want to, yeah, please. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two of them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? 
and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the cat fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That was great. Thank you. Again, we, we're very familiar with that. We're very familiar particularly with the, the heart of the Father. We, we love to talk about God, and we rightly should. Abba Father. Daddy God. Daddy God. And he is. Trust me. He is. He's been my Daddy God. Start us off this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you and say, <laughs> okay, when I use this term, I want you to say to them, what's the first image image that comes into your head when I use this term? So to the person next to you, the term is wrecking ball. Okay, go, go. Share away, people. Okay. All right. So, anybody uh, want to uh, throw out? I mean, I, you know, I'm assuming you know what a wrecking ball is. Like, it's that big thing on the end of a crane. Yeah, okay, we got that. So, anyone want to share what the first thing that came in here, Diane? Wrecking ball. Yeah. Interesting. Last time I shared this, uh, there was a, was a uh, daughter of a teenage mother said, Miley Cyrus! <laughs> I went, got it? She's the wrecking ball. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? Destruction, yeah, yeah, yeah. Car crash, <laughs> wrecking ball, yeah. Demolition, yeah, very good, very good. Okay, not sharing with your neighbour because this could be triggering and a little testy. But the same question, 
with the context. When I say this, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Don't share it with your neighbour, please. Wrecking ball and health. What does that look like? Wrecking ball and family. What does that look like? Wrecking ball and marriage. What does that look like? All of a sudden we've got context, don't we? It's not kind of that obscure thing that happens out there to someone else. It's us. What about wrecking ball and business? Wrecking ball and farm. Sin in all its manifestations, iterations and computations is that wrecking ball. Make no mistake, people. Make no mistake about that. That is that wrecking ball. Every single time. Now we know, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the standard of God, the rules of God, all have sinned and fallen short of the best practice of God. What is it? Glory. It's the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, this is, this is what we talked about, Ian talked about before, about capacity. This is beyond who we are. This is not about reaching a standard. It's not about following a set of guidelines to come to a best practice end. This is the glory of God. We've all fallen short of this. But what we do is we settle for a lesser standard. We can't reach the glory. It's impossible. So let's just redefine these things. Let's bring them back to a defendable position, people. What am I prepared to defend? What am I prepared to justify in my life that's contrary to best practice in the kingdom of heaven, to his glory? And I'm preaching to all of us, me included. Preaching to all of us. It's interesting, hamateology, hamateology, the study of sin, the study of the doctrine of sin. Hamatano is the, is the word that's often used. And, we, and we've, you've heard this before. What sin are? Sin is missing the mark. Now, it is. But we, we, that context is like, okay, son, have a go at the bow and arrow. Oh, you missed. Don't worry. It's okay. Have another go. Have another go. It's okay. That's... That's the kind of framework that I hear talked about. Now, but you understand what this actually means, you go right back to the Garden of Eden. Because when Adam and Eve missed the mark, what they did, what they did in that context was they lost their place. They forfeited their place. That's what the word comes from. To lose one's place. Why? Because you missed the mark. That's how important this is. Like, oh, whoops, have another crack. No, 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 no. You missed, mate. You, you, you lost your spot. That's the intensity and severity of this context. We've detuned it to make ourselves feel good. 
We're just where we have. Like, I don't want to feel bad about myself. Oh, you know, just make people feel bad about themselves. It's just awful. Christianity is kind and loving and sweet and nice. You just make me feel bad, so I just don't like you. I don't like this Jesus. He's not much fun. <laughs> you know, and this is, this is one of the problems, you know. Don't get me wrong. God is kind. I'll tell you what, particularly to the very, very broken. He's incredibly kind. But he never says at any point, you know what, you don't have to deal with missing the mark. But someone else did this to me. Yeah, 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 I know. I know. But you missed the mark. And I want to help you get the mark. You're starting to frame the blood of Jesus now in a different light. Are we understanding people? We're starting to frame the cross in a different context. It's not an act of kindness. This is an act of profound eternal love that knows no comparison. None at all. None at all. A couple of scriptures, uh, which I won't go into at length, but you know the, the passage in 1 Samuel 15, 23. When Saul, King Saul, who was uh, you know, chosen by God, good guy, and by the way, just to, just to juxtapose Saul and David, Saul didn't do as nasty things as David did. David didn't take another man's woman and rape her. Saul didn't do that. Didn't have a husband killed. Saul didn't do that. But David did. But he's a king. He's, yeah, he is. Difference, the only difference between Saul and David was that David knew that he was broken and he was wrong and he repented. And he surrendered his life. He paid a price. Right? He got, you know, God's not mocked. Galatians 6, 7. There, whatever you sow, you'll reap. God's not mocked. He said, I love you, but you know, you, I'm still reaping some crops that I've sown. Long time ago. I'm sowing new seeds. I'm sowing new seeds. Always sowing new seeds. But the old crop still has to germinate, flourish, and drop. And God gets rid of it. You always reap what you sow. But God can redeem that. He's the redeemer. It's not punishment. I'm going to make you pay for your mistakes. Says, no, no, no. no. Dude, you, you did this. You know, I love you. I want to fix it. We're going to make good out of this. But, man, there's a journey through this. Going to go through to get through, and the reaping will begin. Do you understand that, church? Young people here, you know, you kind of, if you haven't bumped into it yet, you will. <laughs> God bless you. God, God bless you. It'll happen. Not negative, it's just going to happen. Anyway. So, first, first Samuel 5, 15, 23. Again, I digress. So, Saul's told to go and kill the Amalekites. It's another message for another day, so I won't go into all the details of that. But what he doesn't do is he says, hang on a minute, there's some good stuff going on here. Good stuff is happening here. There's some good assets here. God surely doesn't want me to waste this. The dance begins. The dance begins. So he does it, kills all the Amalekites, keeps the best of the sheep, keeps the best of the, of the camels, and keeps Agag alive. Agag, king of Amalekites, which is another seven another day, king of the flesh. <laughs> keeps it alive, keeps him alive, and says, okay. And then he says, and then Samuel rocks up and says, okay, have you done what God asked? Yep, done it. Good job. So, well, yeah, what's this noise? What's this bleating of the sheep that I hear? Says, yeah, what's this bleating? What, what do you mean? Well, of course, God didn't mean for you to kill all the, you know, the good sheep and the good cattle and... and and I've kept Agag alive. You know, I'm going to parade him around and, you know, look what I've done. Look what I've done. 
Samuel calls those two sins witchcraft and idolatry. Rebellion and stubbornness. Sorry, but it's just God has to deal with this rebel and this stubborn. Still there sometimes. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Long-suffering wife. Thank you, my love. So, that in mind, I'm trying to frame it. Are you getting a frame here, guys? We're going to shift our paradigm a little bit. We've just got to move this way a little bit, a little bit further. Okay, now let's revisit the prodigal son. Let's revisit the parable of the prodigal son, according to the text. Now, for starters, <laughs> this, this parable, Jesus is throwing in an IED, an improvised evangelistic device. He's just going, boom. This is not only scandalous, this, this parable. This is not only scandalous. This is assaultive. Like, you can't put a stronger adjective on this. This is like, what the? Poke me in the eyes with hot needles, will you? This is what he's doing. He is throwing in a grenade to the culture. Now, if you, we're not Jews. We're not Jews. And a cultural context is outrageous. In fact, what Jesus is proposing here is culturally impossible. It cannot happen. Thus, the miracle working God begins. Now, this is a pivotal, again, I said before, I'll say it again, a pivotal parable. This is shifting entire perspectives. He is dragging them, or trying to drag them, into a different space. And we love it because we think, oh, God's just, gonna, he's just blowing up the law. And no, he's not blowing up the law. He made the law, 614 plus laws. God's idea, by the way. Not a mistake. Not a mistake. Oh, gee, I really messed up this first covenant, guys. Oh, sorry, my bad. Well, let's do a new one. You know? No, 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 no. See, this is, the, again, where we get that understanding from teaching that we keep hearing. We just hear this, you know, this fluffy daddy God, you know, wink at sin. Didn't see a thing. Oh, granddad, you know. You see what happens when we're shaped and we're framed? Don't get me wrong, we've all done it. Change the frame. Change the shape. Anyway, so here we go. Now, it opens up with the young man. It opens up with the young man coming to his dad. He's saying, Oh, excuse me, Father. Hello, how are you? Yeah, thank you. Look, um, I'm really bit finding all this farm work a bit tiresome. <laughs> and we're, we're loaded, and I'm an entitled child of the, I'm an heir of the king. Um, I'd really like to go and have some leisure time, thanks. Entitled leisure time. Party with my friends. Is that okay with you? That's great. Can I have my inheritance now, please? That'd be lovely. Is that what you hear? Well... Have a think about it. Is that what you hear? He came and asked his father. What's it say again? John, you got it? You got it here, John? Go for it, John. This is your cue, John. <laughs> you're on, son, you're on. Yep, there it is. Give me my share of the inheritance. Now, here's the wrecking ball number one. 
You understand a Jewish farm. You understand what a farm is. This is a livelihood-based enterprise. Hard work. What he's actually doing is, firstly, from an economic perspective, he's saying, I'm willing to destroy the capacity for this farm to exist because I want to party. God wants me to be happy. He does. He wants me to be happy. God doesn't want you to be unhappy, but that's not a priority. God, happiness is not in God's radar. It's not on his radar. He's into joy and peace and love, but his happiness is not on his radar. He's into wholeness, joy, and peace. But what does the father do? Again, the father says, okay, let's divide the inheritance. Now, I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. And this is why the Jews are going, <gasps> like, what are you doing? If we go, firstly, down to um, Exodus 21, 17. Exodus 21 and verse 17. And I'm going to labour this because this is really important. Now, this is, this is Exodus. This is a text given by God. This is instructions by God, prescriptions by the God of holiness, the God of righteousness, the God of justice. We love justice when it's us. It's called just us. <laughs> but we don't like justice when we have to uh, respond and make right that which is we've done unjustly toward others. So Exodus 21 verse 17 says, And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. In essence, he's saying, I want the inheritance now. I wish you were dead so I can get my hands on the money to have the life I want to have. That's not enough for you. Let's rock over to Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is the law revisited. So just before the Jews were out to go into the promised land, after 40 years of wandering, God was trying to get Egypt out of them, not them out of Egypt. That could have been done in a week. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And now they were a nation of about two and a half million people. And they were going to have to move into a place of government. They were going to have to govern the land. Occupy and govern. They were about to find their place again. And God doesn't want them to miss the mark. He wants them to find their place. Occupy and overcome. And be the agency to the world that he's purposed them to be. From the beginning, the Jews were his people. The church is his people to a world that needs to see and hear. So, Deuteronomy. I'm telling you, I'm revisiting the law, guys. Okay, ready for this? We're getting back in. We're going to go through the whole law again. I'm going to tell you how this ticks, how this works, how you're going to be moving forward. Now, in verses 18 to 21, Deuteronomy, verse 18 to 21, here we go. The rebellious son, sorry, chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, Deuteronomy. Dealing with the rebellious son. Here it is, black and white. This is what the Jews were <gasps> about this prodigal kid. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, now you've got to get this. This kid hasn't just all of a sudden woke up one morning and gone, hey, Dad, want the inheritance, want to go party. This kid's feral. He's out and out feral. He's a drunkard. He's partying all the time. He's not fulfilling his responsibilities. He's acting out. Dad's had a crack at him, had a crack at him, had a crack at him. No, I'm going. So this wasn't just a one-off event all of a sudden in the vacuum. This is a manifestation of an ongoing problem with this kid, or this man, actually. 
Anyway, we read on. Stubborn rebel son, who, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. In other words, oh, I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of this city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So this is the biblical stoning, not the new version, people. The new stone version apparently is a lot more fun. So they will put away that evil person from among them. And get this, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This is, this is God's instruction. This is his prescription for dealing with ferals. And Jesus is going, what? Not only does he not deal with this kid, the kid gets to take the inheritance. John, keep going. You're doing well. Next bits. So he goes out. Oh, sorry, mate. I put you on the spot. I did my bit. I read my bit. There it is. Squandered himself in while he just partied on. Now I've got the means. I've got the means. I've grabbed my entitled inheritance before time, and now I'm partying. Now we know later on he went partying with prostitutes. So sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, that's life, isn't it? This is what we are now. This is, this is culture. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Fantastic. I've got the means. Power as well, because cash gives you power. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. I get to do what I want when I want. I'm happy. I'm living large. Does that sound like the culture? Yeah. A lot of it's self-medicating. We get that. There's a lot of pain underneath and people are just trying to deal with that. But so he's out there squandering away and he gets to the point where it's gone. His friends are all gone and, and I've, we've dealt with any number of people who are involved in the addictive spaces and their community of addiction, their more partying community. He doesn't care about them as, as a person. They just care what they do together. It's a joint effort. It's a shared moment. It's an event. It's an exercise. It's a, an experience. It's not a relationship. And consequently, he's run out of money. He's no longer the, the source of joy. And he's on his own. And he's broken. He's poor. Now, he ends up, we know the story well, he ends up a Jewish boy feeding pigs. The irony there is huge. And we won't go into the, the full context of that. But he longed to fill himself with the pods I'm really willing to eat the rubbish that they feed to pigs. But get this. What does it say? He, John, he, <laughs> sorry, John. Yeah. Yeah, and. There it is. So, hang on a minute. Now, just let's get a contact. Now, if the, in an Orthodox Jewish environment, this kid has left. If he wasn't killed, stoned by the elders, what you'll see in, in some Orthodox Jewish homes is when a child leaves their faith 
or leaves the culture, they have a, faux, a funeral. They bury an empty coffin. This, this child's dead. dead. Dead to us completely. So are they physically dead? No. Relationally, contextually, culturally, and inheritance, inheritance, they're dead. They're gone. But their agency's still there. Their will is still in play. Now, if they're dead, they're dead. He, he didn't come to his senses when he's dead. He's lying on the bottom of the pig's like, dead. He's not coming to his senses when he's dead. We've got to be careful about our misinterpretation of Scripture here. He's not dead to the will. The will of man is still in play, always in play. In fact, in this current dispensation of grace, it's been argued by some it's the most powerful thing in play is the will of man because we can refuse God or we can accept God. Nothing greater than that. God gives us that capacity, by the way. In his sovereignty, he says, you get to choose. <laughs> you get to choose. Anyway, so this guy says, you know what? It's a little bit more than, yeah, oh, this sucks. Gee, that didn't go the way I wanted. Man, pear shape. Oh, guess what? The old man's loaded. I'll go back home, get some money, get some more, have a good time. No, it's different. This is not remorse. This is repentance. This is, I understand now what I had. I lost my place. And now I understand what that really means. I want to come back to the family, but I can't go back the way I left. I must go back as a servant. I must go back as a slave in my father's house. Not an entitled heir. A servant. A bond servant. So he picks up, goes home. The next outrageous, scandalous response is, so the heart of the prodigal is I'm broken, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I need to go home and surrender. The father, second scandalous statement, the father runs to meet him. You know, he didn't, notice he didn't chase him when he left? He didn't chase him. He let him go. He didn't negotiate his return. He let him go. And now this kid's come home. This kid's come home with a heart. Now, the dad knew. That's why he ran to him. He wasn't going, oh, hang on, here he comes. What's he want now? He wants some more money. I bet he's run out of cash. Because in that culture, that wouldn't have been possible. He should have been dead. So if he didn't even show his face, was like suicide. Do you understand that? He comes back with a broken and contrite heart, and his father knows that. This kid's changed. He wants to surrender. I will invest in that. I will invest in that. Even though he squandered so much. Grace, undeserved favour. Mercy, not getting what he did deserve. This is staggering, people. This is staggering. That's, that's the, the focus here. Not the soft touch. So the kid has responded with a repentant heart and God goes, yep, I can work with that. Like David, I can work with that. I can't work with stubbornness and rebellion. I can't work with entitlement. I can't work with the king's kid mentality. 
Can't work with it, guys. It's not tenable in the new covenant. <laughs> it's just not tenable. It's not how the new covenant works. So anyway, he comes home. Dad meets him, kisses him. Oh, it's awesome, you know, because he was dead and now he's alive. It's just like, this is awesome. It should be celebrated, church. Not that he's bad guy, come back. He was dead in his sin. Dead relationally, dead culturally, dead financially. But he come back so he can be alive again in those contexts. His agency was always in play, always in play. His will was always there. Remember that, guys. We're accountable <laughs> for what we choose. Yeah, so that's a whole other story. That's another lens, particular lens we're going to look at today. So he celebrates. More than, more than he welcomes the kid back, he celebrates. He goes, let's, let's have a party. This is awesome. It's like, so, and dad goes, and all the people around him are going for the first time, oh, you know what? This makes sense. This kid's come back. We're not celebrating the bad guy coming back for a second chance at the second bite of the cherry. We're celebrating a kid that was dead. They got it. And now we're having a party. And dad, because dad's the boss of the house. So all the hands are born. This kid's come back. He's got a different attitude. He's got a different spirit. This kid is surrendered. This kid's not the brat that left. This kid's humble. He's surrendered. He's obedient. What the? Sometimes you've got to go through to get through. What the? But we get a party because in the culture that was an impossibility that's come to pass. It's a miracle. Wonderful miracle. But guess what? The older brother's outside working in the field where he's done all this time. Doing the chores his brother brother should have been doing. Carrying the load his brother should have been carrying. So there it is. He's out there working away. What's going on? I hear a party. Because he's working. He's actually doing a job. And then they said, oh, your, your younger brother's come home. And your dad's killed the fatted calf and they're having a party. What the? You are kidding me. Scandal number three. This is just unbelievably outrageous. And it is. It is outrageous. Absolutely and utterly disgusting. You took the fatted calf, the prize, and you celebrated this feral. Oh, it's just grace. No, 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 no. There's more going on here. But here's the point. And this is where most messages and sermons stop. And, and how do we see that the older brother? Come on, tell me. How do we, historically, how have you seen the older brother? What's your interpretation in your nice grace-soaked you know, how do you see the older brother? Most, when most people paint this sermon. The older brother is kind of the bad guy, isn't he? He's kind of the bad guy. Well, well, gee, what a, you know, he's no grace. What an awful man. You know? And yeah, he didn't get it because he's got a, he's got a lens. His lens is faithfulness. His lens is hard work. His lens, I've done my duty. His lens is I've held the line. And God says, yeah, I know, that's a good lens, but step back. Come on, step back here. I want, you, I want to take you out of that lens. I want you to look at a grace lens because this is impossible and I'm going to let it happen because it's impossible. Come on, son. But I want you to note this. This is really important, guys. What did the father do to the older son? Did he leave him out there? No, he did not. He went out to him. 
please understand this. He went out and begged him to come in. Different animal completely. Feral son left, he let him go. He said, and notice what he says to his son. He explains what's happened. He's trying to get his son to shift that lens, you know. Come pick your lens up, move it over to Grace, have a look. Come on, son. This is a good thing. But then he says this. He said, Dad, I've worked my butt off here for you. I've been faithful. And he says, yeah, you have, son. That's not forgotten. Now, get this. Get this, people. He said, all that I have is yours. The prodigal's lost his inheritance. Now, there's a brain bender. He's lost his inheritance. It's gone. He spent it. He spent it, but he got his relationship back. Yeah, see, now you start to think it. He got the relationship back. He was dead, now he's alive. One thing about grace, grace, sorry, faithfulness is never a casualty of grace, people, ever. You don't earn your salvation. You don't earn righteousness, but you participate in it, you collaborate in it, and you reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. He burned through his inheritance. It's gone. He's burned it through. Another sermon for another day, but I want you to get your heads around that. But the relationship was restored. He's still an heir. Sorry, he's still a child. And arguably an heir, but he's, he's burned his inheritance. It's gone. But he's back in the family. He's got his place back. And the place is not about what you get. It's how you are positioned in relationship to the kingdom. He's back with his father. Can we stand together, please? Can I have Micah? Is that okay, Micah, doll? Is that okay? Thank you. Just close our eyes this morning. And it's a pretty intense thing we just looked at. And for some of us, it's, it's kind of a new perspective. For some of it's not. And if you close your eyes with me this morning, I just... The, the call that I had earlier this year on this was, I, I, I balked at it. Felt the Lord say very strongly, we, we need to address this. And I said, well, Lord, I, this is, you know, I know this from the inside out and it's awful. I, I don't want to preach on this. I said, but this is a kingdom time and the church needs to be the new covenant ark. It's the new covenant ark. It welcomes people. It embraces people. It invites them in but invites them in through a saviour. They are saved before they are adopted. They are saved. Saved from their wrecking ball of sin. Saved from the wrecking ball of others' sin. And then they're adopted to become children of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. So this morning, with every eye closed, right? if you don't know, and look, I know most people here have got a faith, I believe that. So but just in case, if you don't know that you have been saved, you've been saved from your sin, you've been saved as a result from the wrath of God, you've been saved from missing the mark and losing your place. If you don't know that this morning, I'd like to, to talk with you and pray with you about that. And if that's you, 
Every eye closed. Every eye closed. If that's you, just put your hand up. And we'll talk. And we'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, and, and if, if this particular space has brought things to the fore, and if you're feeling, feelings are always deceptive anyway, but if you have a sense of, of boding, foreboding, then let God work that in your life. If that, that's a challenge. If you're feeling uncomfortable, that's a good thing. I don't desire to make you uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit will do that. And if that's you and, and you have a sense of that in your heart and you want to ad- look at that, address that, you've got mentors, do that, I want to be here for that as well. Don't you need to put your hand up. But if that's in your heart, don't let that go away. Go to God with that. Go to the Father heart of God who wants to welcome you back. You might have burned through your inheritance. That's okay. He wants you to be back in the place of family again, communion again. We'll just close in prayer and then we'll sing this song one more time. Is that right? Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your counsel. It is rich. It is good. It is very, very good. And we wanted to do the work only you can do in our hearts. Not the words of men. But the counsel of God broken open in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, as we sing this song, as we surrender afresh, not only lead us more deeply and profoundly in the paths of righteousness to conform with the image of your Son, but to be the ambassadors and the light and the salt this world so desperately needs. We ask this all in Jesus' matchless and perfect name. Amen. Thanks, my God. Thank you. Sing this song and we'll close.